Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Welcome to Books and Nachos, the Minganza Media Podcast about everything in print. I'm Stuart in L.A. Six weeks after reviewing the original 1963 Pierre Boulle novel, I am back on the Planet of the Apes. Though not necessarily the same one that I left, the one that was on paper. In that time, since that review, Gold Level Now Playing Donors have received weekly Planet of the Apes podcasts, and I've looked at each Hollywood spinoff from that source novel with Jacob and Arnie, and we reached Tim Burton's reboot recently. New questions have surfaced about that, and only new books are going to be able to answer them. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm looking for answers in two mass-market paperbacks released in the wake of Tim Burton's movie about things that were not in the film. They are Planet of the Apes, The Fall, and Planet of the Apes, Colony. They were published in 2002 and 2003, respectively, and they were both written by William T. Quick. Now, whether you're a fan of what Burton did on the screen or not, I think the backstory provided in these prequel novels is essential to understanding Ashlar, because the new setting here is not the same monkey planet that we read about in Bull's book. That was Soros. That was a French astronaut, Ulysses Moreau. They've scrapped that. That's not what this world is. Nor is it the post-apocalyptic Earth that Chuck Heston found in five previous films. Ashlar is unique. It's an invention of Burton's screenwriters. It's similar only to what's come before because it features a violent culture of hyper-intelligent simians. And yes, they hunt primitive human beings for sport, for slave labor. That remains true, but after that, the movie really diverges. You have astronaut Mark Wahlberg landing on Ashlar in the year 5021, that's three millennia after he left his home on a space station called Oberon and passed through this time-distorting cosmic storm. And he eventually learns he's not going to get rescued from Ashlar because Oberon also crashed on the surface of the planet, but way back in his own time of 2029. And since we saw what was going on on that space station, it was a research facility devoted to genetic enhancement of chimpanzees, we could basically infer that the reigning ape society that suppresses Mark Wahlberg in the future are the descendants of those crash survivors. Still, the movie makes no effort to explain where the schism between monkey and man occurred, or what the planet might have looked like when it was first conquered by super chimps. So that's the history that was lost that is going to be discovered in these two books. It isn't in the film. It is in these two novels. It's primarily in book one called The Fall, which picks up seconds, really, after Mark Wahlberg and his space monkey Pericles have left the Oberon and disappeared inside that quantum time storm. There's barely enough time to notice that he disobeyed orders and left before the research facility is also sucked up into this storm. It crashes onto Ashlar, again, much sooner than Mark Wahlberg will because he went down a time wormhole. There are 175 human survivors of the impact. They become the castaways, marooned on an unexplored new world, really without hope of rescue or repairing their vessel. They are not going to be able to fly away. The engines still work. They just don't have the ability to lift off. They still have their technology, though. They still can bioengineer. 
And since there are not enough people to build a colony to endure the new planet, the scientists decide to disregard their laws about genetic engineering, and they just start building a workforce of super apes. And these are the monkeys with the heightened intelligence, with a voice box that functions, that can speak, and they even have sort of a psychic premonition, if you will, about when danger is about to strike. Now, I like the fact that the two main characters of The Fall are human and chimp half-brothers, David and Jonathan. They're the first ones born on Ashlar. They're also the direct descendants of Mark Wahlberg and Pericles. That's right, I wouldn't have guessed that either, but yes, Mark Wahlberg, when he jumped in that space pod and chased his chimp into the future, he was leaving behind a knocked-up lab technician named Molly. And so, I thought he was... Just trying to get his chimp Pericles back, now there's a new motive. Maybe he just wanted to get away from this girl and his responsibilities. It's difficult to say. I actually thought he had a girl waiting for him back on Earth as well, but whatever. Life is complicated. I'm not going to judge. But due to the higher brain functions of Pericles and some genetic modification that Molly does on the chimp that he's impregnated, Pericles also has a son that's born at the same time that Molly gives birth, right after the space station has crashed onto Ashlar. But because this is the first ape of genetic modification, it it, it had a, a large cranium that actually caused fatal complications for the mother. The mother does not survive childbirth. So Molly is really forced to raise two babies at once. David, her human biological son, and Jonathan, his chimp brother. I mean, they call themselves brothers. But, of course, she didn't actually get knocked up by Pericles. Thank goodness. I gotta say, once you know that, Tim Burton's movie starts to look like the story about delinquent dads. And, you know, what happens there is that it's really two guys that are crawling back home after their big universe dreams don't pan out and they have to be responsible again, right? They have to take control of their families because that's what they're faced with in the next millennias of cultures that develop. There is a dominant ape culture suppressing a human culture that's a 3000 year old family feud when mark Wahlberg gets there in his space pod there were no apes or human beings on ashlar before the oberon crashed in fact there's almost no animal life at all we'll talk about that in a second so every human savage every ape foot soldier we see in 5021 is a long lost child of Wahlberg and Pericles. So I think that's important to know. I wish the movie had found a clear way to establish that. I think it would have helped character motivation. But the reason why there are no apes or human beings or anything really living on Ashlar in 2029 when the Oberon crashes there is because the Brax are living on Ashlar in 2029. That's B-R-A-X. Imagine a cross between a wolverine and a scorpion. It's basically the size of a pony. It's got fangs and claws, a mollusk shell instead of fur. It's got this stinging tail like a scorpion. They start off life the size of ants, and then they basically ooze out onto the surface in waves of lava that's acidic, that can eat through anything. And should you come in contact, you become under the control of the Brax as well. Uh, They eventually grow to the size of a small pony, And basically, they'll kill anything that moves. They are the dominant species here. And so, yes, 
It's controlled by a unseen core. We never really know what the Queen Brax exactly looks like. It lives deep, deep within the surface of Ashlar, but it makes all the decisions about its colonies. And so it knows when the Oberon crashes onto the surface that it's got a new source of food and it's going to attack it with the same veracity that it's used to wipe out just about everything else on Ashlar's ecosystem. Now, I got to admit, when I first came upon this concept, I thought the Brax was a step too far. We'd never seen anything like this in the Planet of the Apes universe. Even those Scarface psychics from the second movie, they lived in the Forbidden Zone ruins and beneath the Planet of the Apes. They ended up being human beings. They were just disfigured by radiation. There's no humanity at all to the Brax. They are soulless and scary monsters. Quite frankly, they seem transplanted from another sci-fi universe, like Starship Troopers is really what I was thinking about, or maybe Alien. And I don't know, that kind of cheapens things, right? It it makes it feel like fan fiction, right? When you have Starship Troopers versus Planet of the Apes, that doesn't feel contiguous to the world that Tim Burton created. But there is a strong parallel between the way this Brax core keeps manufacturing new ways of armies to attack the human ape colony that's being established. It's called New Hope. As it's doing that, the geneticists, using the human technology, breed a army of apes uh, that take the front lines of the war. So they're really seen in parallel, that the core of the Bracks and that the human scientists are really doing the same things. Both are trying to dominate Ashlar by creating waves of foot soldiers uh, that basically exist to, to die in combat. I think that's what really starts the rift between ape and man, is that while humans aren't as numerous, and humans don't have that psychic ability to sense danger and know when the Brax are about to attack. It's just very convenient that the creatures that end up dying for the survival of the humans are these apes. Now, they are different from the super ape that was first created, Jonathan, and his half-human brother, David. They are a different breed than the apes that come next because the scientists get better at the genetic modification. Jonathan was kind of done in haste by one woman. Uh, the ones that come afterwards are, they can still talk. They're still intelligent, but they're not as strong. Uh, they're not going to have the threat to human dominance the way that Jonathan does. So it really becomes Jonathan's mission to point out to these new ape generations that, hey, we're being played here. You're born to die for people that are not willing to fight for you. That said, I think human-ape relations would have survived here in 2029 with the common enemy. I think that they all still would have gotten along and been just fine, and we would not have the divided society that Mark Wahlberg falls into 3,000 years later were it not for the fact that the humans tell Jonathan, you can't have sex. When you impregnate a chimp, it has an enlarged head. She won't be able to deliver it. You're murdering, basically, every time you're giving birth. So no sex for you. You'd think they'd do the guy a favor and give him a vasectomy or castrate him or, or, or something. But no, they basically just wag their finger. And he thinks, after a while, they're even thinking about murdering him. He has other people taste test his food. I should say other chimps taste test his food to make sure that they're not trying to poison him. And so this is where Simos comes in. It's a name that's bandied about a lot in the Tim Burton movie. Simos was supposedly the first ape 
It was born in Kalima. Well, we find out that Kalima is the Oberon ruins. We find out in this book, The Fall, that Simos is Jonathan, which is good because I think apes all have that kind of classic sounding Greek society name. I'm like, John the ape just wasn't working for me. So John the chimp is Simos. It's actually an anagram of Moses. He is leading his people off to a secret society that he is building away from the Brax and away from the human space station and New Hope. And he's getting his jollies while he's doing it. He ends up having four children. The wives all die in childbirth, as predicted. The humans were right to tell him of the dangers, but he is, you know, a teenager at this point, and he is wanting his fun. He is wanting to create a legacy, and so he is building his culture and sneaking people out while... All the men are dying on the front lines. The women are being snuck away by Simos to this second city. The battle with the Brax goes on for another 20 years, but eventually they are defeated. The scientists, the geneticists, you know, they're good at their job and their technology still works. So they end up developing something that they can inject into the Brax core that will essentially stop it from procreating. It won't be able to make new versions of itself. Therefore, it'll just die out. And the scientists decide that they're also going to do that and administer it to Jonathan, to Simos, although they don't know him by that name. But the idea is to get all the apes subservient to them and they'll never be a threat because if they want to reproduce, the scientists will have to do that. But Jonathan is one step ahead of them. He's like, you're not going to treat me like a Brax. We're going to get back at you. And so the apes do come back to Oberon, to New Hope, to wipe out the human society. And it's actually his human half-brother that sticks him with the formula that'll essentially create a strain of child malformities and birth defects for future generations. They do administer the toxin into the bloodline. That means we're going to get a strange variant in chimpanzees that they may not survive. But... I'd say by the end of the fall, you still feel like the monkeys are the one that have won. They know that the way to really hurt the human beings is to take away their technology. They're only as good as their genetic modification. So they break all of that stuff. They won't be able to create any new chimpanzees in a lab or any other animals. It should be pointed out that they created bees and horses and all the things that we do see in ape society. They've been able to create a, a new earth in a sense with all of the species that we would expect here on Ashlar, but they will create no more. By the end of this novel, the apes are attacking. We actually see that footage in the film. If you recall, there is a woman, her name is Grace, making a distress call, and Mark Wahlberg sees that message saying, Simos is attacking us. The reason why Mark Wahlberg didn't know who Simos was, was that he didn't know that his chimp Pericles had a baby that had that name. He he left shortly before that birth. But Simos doesn't kill Grace. It looks like from the video that she's about to die. But in fact, he keeps her prisoner in secret, torturing her, hoping to use her as bait for the humans that get away. Because there is a small populace that does escape in escape pods and goes off to a different area of Ashlar. There's no more Brax, so the presumption is humans could thrive and rebuild their technology. And so apes have to figure out a way to eventually expand, find them, hunt them down. That's why they remain a war society. It's kind of a question mark in the film as to why there are all these troops 
when there doesn't seem to be any combat in daily ape life. Uh, the reason is, is that they are armed to take down and to suppress human society. Now, a lot happens between the three millennia and these two novels, so there's still some question marks as to why things are the way they are exactly in the Tim Burton movie, but most of the answers do come here in the fall. Most of the things I was looking for, I'm satisfied with what's been given to me in a very perfunctory prose. I would say there's nothing special about the fall. But if you had these questions, if you wanted it fleshed out, if my description of it isn't enough for you, I'd say go ahead and read the fall. The reason why I'm focusing on that book so much is that the second one is much less significant. I think the hope was is that the Tim Burton movie was going to be so successful we can just keep cranking out EU books, you know, extended universe kind of stuff that's just pulp for years to come. Much like they do with Star Wars or Star Trek where there's 80, 90 books that continue on adventures of, of characters from the movie, I think they thought that they could do that here with Simos and the new ape society battling the humans as they fall into savagery and, and lose contact with their technology. But The Colony, the second book here, is far less significant as far as giving us any answers. Basically, all that we see are that the humans strike back. If the first book was really about the apes saying, we're taking this planet, the second book, Colony, really says, don't be so fast. We can still outsmart you. We still have some technology. What happens is, kind of a repeat of the setup of The Fall, we have two half-brothers. Two children from Simos. Remember, he, they can't come from the same mother because the mother dies after it has one child from Simos. But Zeus and Thados are sent out to establish a new colony. And Thados, because he's more warlike, is going to be on the lookout for human colonies. Most of the apes do not know that humans survived. They think that they kicked ass and won when they took over the Oberon and they turned it into the Forbidden Zone of Kalima. Well, Thados knows better. He knows that Grace is still alive. Grace has been babbling about some things about where the humans might be, and so he's going to that area of Ashlar to see if he can find them, to see if he can kill them. But Grace is wily. She knows exactly where the humans are and where they're not. She sends them to a dangerous area populated by... I guess what can only be described as dinosaurs. And if I thought the Brax was a step too far, this is miles in the wrong direction. I mean, I just seeing raptors and pterodactyls and piranhas attack apes is maybe for a cartoon that would work. But on the page, you get nothing out of that. And it's actually kind of amusing how it transpires. I suppose it isn't funny for Thados, but it becomes a complication between the half-brothers when Thados wades into a stream and piranhas eat his balls. Yes, literally. They eat his balls. He is not able to produce after this point, and he becomes jealous of the family that Zaius starts to cultivate here in the second city which ends up getting the name of Cool Mountain. But no, I don't think this second book is very good. Basically, there's a lot of power plays about Thados and Zaius trying to jockey for who is going to take Simos' place as king. They're clearly outmatched in their new environment, and there's a big dinosaur attack at the end, and they realize they must retreat and return to the original ape city, much less populated now. Thados is killed. This is kind of a surprise because Thade is the descendant who is the aggressor to Mark Wahlberg in the movie. I think that Thados 
must, in fact, because he's also evil and aggressive, must be the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. But no, what we learn, I guess the only thing that's significant is Thanos lost his ability to procreate. Zeus feels bad when he dies in the dinosaur attack and swears that his child, which is born normally, and proves the fact that there will be a bloodstream that survives the infection put into play by the human geneticists, he's going to name that son Thados and his army. So the name Thados would carry on, but it will not be from the evil character in Colony's bloodline. A lot of other characters are set up. David, the human, comes back at the end to swear victory. The humans really don't play too much into Colony, but you get the impression that there would be more novels where they would and so you have a whole bunch of characters that don't matter because they've set up a world that no future books follow. There were no sequels to Colony made. The, the book sold poorly. The movie ultimately was considered a disappointment. And so this world has been abandoned. Fine with me. I would say that there is nothing here that's so good that I would want to read another book about it. I just wanted answers for what Tim Burton didn't tell me, and I got them. So there you go. My recommendation is that for the curious, go ahead and read The Fall, skip The Colony. I'm going to skip the two other books that are in the universe. They did write two young adult novels called Force and Resistance that are set in the same time frame as when Mark Wahlberg arrived. It's basically a few months before his arrival, we see the human colony that is in existence and how they're persecuted by the apes. Don't care about that. Didn't find those characters at all remotely interesting in the movie. So if you wanted to know more backstory about them, again, I think it's kind of sad that a movie needed four books to tell me basic kind of story, character development stuff. It's a poor reflection on the movie, but they're out there for those that don't want it to end with the single Tim Burton film. Personally, I don't want my exploration of Planet of the Apes novels to end with this series either, which is why I'm going to do one more review, although not on Ashlar. This one is going back to the movies. The original five movies, Planet of the Apes, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Conquest, Escape, Beneath, all of those classic five original movies. I enjoyed most of them, but there was a lot of discrepancies and a lot of things that were not meshing together. That's all going to be addressed in a recent novel, a partially graphic novel. It has some wonderful pictures and illustrations in it at any rate, but a novel written in 2012 called Conspiracy on the Planet of the Apes. That'll be the last book that I cover here at Books and Nachos for Planet of the Apes. There's plenty of other comic books. Believe me, this universe is vast. And if you want to tell me about it, I invite you to go to our forums and give me detailed write-ups about what Planet of the Apes books, comics, and lore you think are worth exploring. But I'm going to do one more Conspiracy on the Planet of the Apes next week here at Books and Nachos. Thanks so much for joining me. Keep reading, and I'll talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. 
Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.